You are listening to Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries, because no good podcast starts with a salad. Hello, lover. Hello, darling. to record the second half of the murder ride from House of a Thousand Corpses. Part two. It is probably at least one or two days later because Brandon had to stay up all night editing the first half of this. However, we wanted to get at least one half out there on the day of, or at the very least, the day after the release of... Three from Hell. So, without further ado... Now, one of our most famous crazies, the psycho of Plainfield, Mr. Ed Gein. Edward Theodore Gein, a.k.a. the Butcher of Plainfield, or the Plainfield Ghoul, was a murderer and body snatcher from Plainfield, Wisconsin. Uh, That's a lot closer than I thought the story was going to take place. Yeah. It is not too far from Illinois. Not at all, but is a little bit further away than Plainfield, Illinois. Right, there's a Plainfield, (laughs) Illinois, and that's where I originally thought this was taking place, and then I was like, ah, Plainfield, Wisconsin, still very close. But if you don't know what a body snatcher is, basically it's stealing dead bodies from burial sites. And in the 19th century... This was far more common, as corpses would be sold as cadavers for dissection and or anatomy lectures in medical schools. Another term for this practice is resurrectionist. Uh, That's kind of creepy, to say the very least. I think that I can think of a couple rememberable names that go along with resurrectionist. Basically, da Vinci was essentially a resurrectionist. That's the name that popped into my mind. Right. I mean, this guy literally would dig up or have his, you know, friends, whatever you want to call them. Like, he had students. I feel like he had students. That would dig up dead bodies for interns. Like, shitty interns. Like, (laughs) now interns bitch because they're getting people coffee and, like, they're not respected in the workplace. But, like, imagine if your boss was, like, Dig up some dead dead bodies. bodies. When at the time, this was a crime. I mean, mean, obviously it's still still a crime crime today. But (laughs) this was like punishable by death. The Catholic Church, which was the rule of the land, would hang you or put you to death for cutting into a dead body, even for scientific reasons. And Da Vinci was doing this shit in like basements, behind closed doors, cutting up dead bodies from today's lens quite frankly he very easily could have been a serial killer and if he was a serial killer nobody would have been even slightly surprised i mean he was already cutting up dead bodies he was drawing them drawing them 
and and obsessed with the human anatomy. And then like his further artwork almost it's almost like he goes into a psychosis where he's drawing like humanoids mixed with pigs and, and i totally forgot about that yes no he really i mean he goes down a rabbit hole of these really odd drawings that not a lot of people know about because yeah. everybody knows about his per, you know perfectly proportioned man drawing in the circle they know about his um detailed paintings but not a lot of people realize that he did a lot of abstract, really weird portraits for a really long time. Like, right. Like he was obsessed with the idea. What if you mixed humans with other animals and, and what would they look like? And it, admittedly, I have wondered this myself. Acting on it through illustration still isn't nearly as bad as some of these scientists. I mean, that it's not bad it. at all because I know a lot of cartoonists out there right. who have done it and they're not sociopaths. But I don't so. know that they were necessarily digging up or having people dig up dead bodies <laughs> and cutting into them at a time when that was considered to be not just sin, but I mean, punishable by yes. death. And, and like death by punishment wasn't like you went to jail. Right. Like the Catholic Church went a little far on their tortures. Yeah. They like tortured you as they killed you. I mean, that was he was taking a great risk. And for we assume like from today's perspective, the betterment Medical. of mankind. But and we still use a lot of that research in today's textbooks. That also blows my mind considering all that we have access to. That's how far ahead of time he was. Regardless, still technically, plausibly psychopath. I, I mean, mean, yeah. I love him. I love I love what he's done, but he very well could have also done this to live people and we just don't know about it and they just kind of hush that from history I mean, because the, we the benefited church, from it. People like people high up had to have known he wasn't coming up with this shit out of his own mind. Right. Because we they didn't were know the what it was. Yeah, Somebody had know. to turn a blind eye. So here's the thing. The reason Edward Gein robbed graves? Actually, still more bizarre than what we're talking about right now. But we'll get into that later. Let's start with the early life of Ed Gein. He was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin on August 27th, 1906. Is that where they made that sparkling water? LaCroix? <laughs> Are you talking about LaCroix? Yeah. I think that's different. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, good, good association there. So, he had an older brother, Henry George Gein, from 1901 to 1944. His dad, George Philip Gein, from 1873 to 1940, was an alcoholic and unable to keep a job. He had worked as a carpenter, a tanner, an insurance salesman. He also owned a grocery store for a few years, but ended up selling the business and moving the family to an isolated 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Hold on. How do you cross fields that extensively? I mean, have you seen my work history? (laughs) No, but it's all sales. Not all of it. I started off with some crazy stuff, but then I found my, you know. (laughs) But I mean, like, what? (laughs) I mean, like back then, you just get whatever work you can get, and you figure out a way to make it work. Like, you, you're I mean, a carpenter. I, you did, tanning was, I mean, you're basically cutting up animals and tanning their skin. It and was, then it was you very own common. a grocery store. 
Well, I don't know how he came about owning the grocery store. I, I would know. like to look I, into that further, but it, it was just bizarre to me. Like the the jumps. Like I get looking for work and just doing what you have to because, like, well, I mean, back then owning a grocery store sounds pretty successful to me, and also owning a hundred and fifty five acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. For real, that's huge. I would love that. Right. So I, I don't do know that. if they're over exaggerating how horrible of a dad he was or how much of an alcoholic he was. From my perspective, based on what I've read, it sounds like he was at least a functioning alcoholic. But anyway, to do all that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so his mother, Augusta Wilhelmina, I don't know, Wilhelmina Gein. Uh, you didn't uh, listen to a video on how the names pronounced? I, I wasn't necessarily planning on reading out the middle ah! name there, but uh, Augusta <laughs> Gein. Yeah, I also don't know how to pronounce her maiden name. It was like Nia Lurky. I don't know. 1878 to 1945. Used this farm, this 155-acre farm, to keep her sons isolated to avoid outsiders from influencing her sons. Yikes. Now, Ed Gein left the farm only to attend school and spent most of his free time doing chores on the family farm. Oh, good. So the only outlet he had was asshole kids. Well, yeah, his kids are dicks. But <laughs> I'm glad he had that outlet, at least. It didn't help yeah, in the bigger spectrum. But Augusta was extremely religious. She was Lutheran. Not that we're saying anything's wrong with Lutherans, but she was just over-the-top religious, according to accounts. She constantly preached to her boys the immortalities of the world, the evils of drinking, which makes sense because her husband was reportedly an alcoholic, and her belief that all women, excluding herself, were naturally promiscuous and instruments of the devil. I'm going to ask, does that sound familiar at all? Double, double, double. I mean, I instantly go to Waterboy. Right. But that's not what I was referring to. However, I also thought of that when I was first reading this. Now, she punished Ed if he even made friends at school, guy or girl. He was very, very isolated by his mother. Talk about a mama's boy. By force. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. No even choice. He was a mama's boy, and then that'll come in later here. So Ed was understandably very shy at school. He was often made fun of by others. His classmates and teachers remembered him as having like strange mannerisms. One example, he would just randomly burst out into unprompted, spontaneous laughter. I mean, that that's just me when I'm sleep deprived. Or have a few drinks, but <laughs> this is a, a strong mannerism that they all kind of remembered about him. Now, despite his poor social development, he actually did fairly well in school, which is a bit of a surprise. Ed's dad died April 1st, 1940 of heart failure, surprise, surprise, caused by excessive drinking. Mm. Ed and his brother worked around the town to help cover the expenses and were actually considered by the townsfolk to be quite reliable. Ed even frequented as a babysitter. For their neighbors. Hail to the no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it'll make more sense as you learn more about Ed if you if you don't already know at least some basic details. But Ed actually enjoyed being a babysitter because he seemed to relate more easily to children than adults. Well, if if you don't have that social uh, construct of 
regularly talking to other adults. And the last time that you weren't isolated was when you were in school with other children. I feel like that makes makes like a pretty solid base of he would be more comfortable around children that age. Yeah, no, I, I totally get the why. And it seems as though he just wasn't developing as quickly as everybody else due to his isolation. So it, mentally, he might have been closer to that age range. Oh, yeah. However, all that being said, it does not explain what you're about to learn about it. Like, I don't think anything out there could explain that. The thing is, lots of people have these unusual childhoods, overbearing parents, no dad in the family you know, household, just, and they don't grow up and murder people, or at least... Than ever caught murdering people. I guess that's as far as we can go with that. But but then you have these people that just grow up and do like horrific things. And we look at it through this lens of psychology and we're like, well, it makes sense. They had horrible childhoods. Yeah, but come on. There's, <laughs> there's, there's got to there's be another outlet. It's the big question. Nature versus nurture. Yeah, we get the nurture side of it, but there has to be something more to it. Anywho, on May 16th, 1944, Henry and Ed were burning away Marsh on the property, and the fire got out of control, drawing attention to the local fire department. At the end of the day, after the fire had been extinguished and the firefighters had gone, Ed reported his brother missing. Mm, That's never good. A search party ensued with lanterns and flashlights, and his brother was found lying face down. He wasn't burned or even injured by the fire, but it was later reported that he did have bruising on his head. Now, police dismissed the possibility of foul play, and the coroner officially listed asphyxiation as the cause of death. I mean, I think that in a small town like they're in, it would be like unheard of to even have to investigate a close-knit family oh, like and, that. You know complete, what I mean? Like this wasn't even, the, so the whole Cain and Abel, did he kill his brother? No. Obviously, you might be thinking that now. It wasn't even considered until the 2020 lens of hindsight after he'd already been convicted yeah. of all this other stuff. But it, I mean, like from a small town, like sheriff showing up and finding like, that's probably not going to be their first idea. Especially, I mean, th- these guys were young brothers who had great, you know, relationships with everybody in town. There was no even thought to that. But yeah, it is something they look back to. The, the whole mention of the bruising on the head, I pointed it out because I was reading all this stuff and putting it together, but it wasn't even mentioned until way later when they were talking they were like you know what there was bruising on the head no official investigation was ever conducted and autopsy was never performed now shortly thereafter Gein's mother had a paralyzing stroke and Gein devoted himself to taking care of her but on December 29th 1945 at the age of 67 she passed on and Ed was devastated by her death. I mean, my guy's wife left him and he snapped, so I'm really afraid to see where <laughs> this is going to go. And keep in mind, this isn't just his mom. This is his only friend. This it's is his world. His world. Like That's, she restricted ugh. him from being around anybody else. So this was a huge deal. 
not only was she the closest person to him, she was all he had left. His brother's gone, whether or not he killed him. His dad was gone. I mean, it was just him and his mom, and that was very short-lived. And how many acres? And then... 155 or something? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Can you just imagine the solitude of 155 acres? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't even think about that. I was just (sighs) thinking about the fact that... You know, not only was it just him and his mom for a short period of time, but the time that he spent when it was just him and his mom, he was caring for her all day, all night. like Constantly. Like, that's a level of devotion, and it consumes. Now, don't get confused. We're not trying to make you feel sorry for this guy. Shortly, don't feel bad at all. <laughs> On the morning of November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden. The owner of the Plainfield Hardware Store disappeared. Warden's son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store around 5 p.m. to find the cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. Frank Warden told investigators that Ed Gein had been in the store the evening before his mother's disappearance and that he came back that morning for a gallon of antifreeze. A sales slip for antifreeze was the last receipt written by Warden on the morning she disappears. Gaines was arrested that same day, and the Washera County Sheriff's Department searched the Gaines farm where Warden's decapitated body was found in the shed. Uh, that's some shit. No, no, no. This is some shit. Oh. She was hung upside down by her legs dressed out like a deer dressed out yeah that means like when you hang a deer in the garage you cut them open to get all the organs out so they don't spoil the meat oh because that's the first thing you gotta do right yeah now Uh, yikes i am going to post a link to this article with photos included Click on that link at your own discretion because there is legitimately a photo of her being hung upside down, a slice down her, and once again, she was decapitated. So it will be available if you choose to link or click on the link. If you choose to link. Zelda, save her. <laughs> I love that right <laughs> Zelda the house. We got to lighten the mood a little bit every once in Always. a while. Things get pretty crazy. <laughs> Try force. Now. You might want to put on your seatbelts if you don't already know this story, which it is a fairly common story. Click it or ticket. Uh, but upon... Ser- oh, don't even get me started on click it or ticket. Keep going. <laughs> upon searching the house, they discovered countless human bones, skulls, and a shoebox full of vulvas. Uh, hold on. <laughs> You can't just keep going after you say that. I paused for a response. I had a feeling I might get a response out of that one. Oh, a box of... A shoebox. A shoebox of vulvas? Yeah, I want to say the official count was like seven, so don't assume it was a full shoebox, but there was a shoebox full of vulvas. Seven is a legit number of vulvas to collect over time. Like, uh, no. Yeah. I'm sorry if I broke your eardrums with my note, but this is intense. Now, they also found household decorations, clothing, and accessories out of the body parts and skin of the graves that he robbed. 
casual. So I mentioned that uh, his <laughs> reason for body snatching was even more bizarre than the things we were discussing earlier. He had made a lampshade out of human skin. A set of chairs upholstered with human skin. Now you said his dad was into tanning. It's probably where he learned a lot of these skills. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for the fact they were being made out of human skin, I'm a little impressed that he was able to do all of these things. At skill level? All right. Remember I mentioned he did fairly well in school. His favorite subject was reading, and he was an avid reader. He had books on everything you could imagine. He learned a lot of these skills while reading various books on... All right. Because there are... Apparently turning humans into lampshades and things. Books on everything. Right. I mean, I feel they like... They didn't have the internet back then. They had you to... Could, uh, <laughs> you could definitely trans, transpire how to do these things from animals to humans, I would oh, assume. Yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, yeah. essentially, I mean, we're it's all just flesh more and blood. And crazier. <laughs> <laughs> so, he also fashioned soup bowls and ashtrays out of human skulls, which is kind of intuitive. I mean... I mean Cuts the top off and... It's a bowl. It's a bowl. Or an ashtray. You know, carve a couple... Now, the pictures that I saw are not the top of the head is the bowl, by the way. What? Yeah, it was like this, like the the bottom half. Like, you cut the top off and made ashtrays and bowls, including the mouth and eyes and all that, like, below. So, it took a little bit of skill. Oh, so he was, like, looking for an avid smoker because it would take a while to fill it. I think it was going more for the style points. Uh, okay. You want to keep an ashtray empty. That was the yeah, uh, all right, classy. All right, all right. Classy. Classy as fuck. That's what it's going for, right? Now, he also, if you want to talk about classy, made a cutlery set. Oh. The handles of the cutlery were made of human bones. So he actually took like real silverware, removed the handles off of that silverware, and then drilled out like fingers and bones and things and, and used that as the the handle for the cutlery set so like it's a full tang cutlery set oh you only go with the best full tang means the metal goes all the way to the back of the handle in this case being human bone but he also wanted it to match his soup bowls i mean you can't oh i didn't even think about that metal silverware <laughs> and eat out of a human skull it's gotta you have like a bone fork with <laughs> right but you don't want to take away from the Subtle. You want to go the subtle. Ugh. Little accent. Accent. Now, he also had masks made of actual ladies' faces, Mm. complete with hair, eyebrows, eyelashes, ears, noses, etc. I don't like that. While extremely disturbing, I'm a little impressed (laughs) that you could even do that. Like, how do you remove all of the skin from somebody's face while keeping all of that stuff intact? I... Don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I'm just saying. Like, we're talking about skill set versus creepiness. Skill set, I'm a little impressed. I'm just saying. <sighs> he had a waste basket made of uh, human skin, kind of like the lampshade thing going on. He had an apron made not just of skin, but this apron included faces, ears, a breast, tissue removed, but skin and nipples still intact. And other various body parts. Now, I've seen this one. I This one's pretty common if you've looked into him before. It's one of the first pictures. Yeah. It looks like it's pulled out of a movie, out of a set. It is hard to believe this could be actually made 
from a guy robbing graves and or killing people. Yeah, it looks like it's straight out of uh, Evil Dead. Like top straight out of Evil Dead. Top or, ten you know. like favorite scary movie, Evil Dead. It looks like it could be a prop from the movie or the TV series. Now, I will say this was also a tad on the genius side, because if you're cutting into dead corpses on a regular basis, you don't want to ruin all of your clothes. Having a nice apron to wear over your clothes. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I mean, every profession needs its apron. (laughs) Right. Like, even the people at the hardware store wear an apron. Now, the only downside is there were quite a few, like, large gaps in this apron. I I don't know if came over time or if he sewed those gaps into it. uh, Adds to the creepiness, but a huge loss in effectiveness. Barbaric stitching on it. Like, while the tanning (laughs) is is done, like, with great skill, when you look at it, it's like Frankenstein-style stitching. And I don't know if that was the look he was going for or not, but if he was going for one day, these pictures are going to be all over the internet and, and on Reddit. Terrifying. Like, he nailed it. Straight up nailed it. He also had a pair of wrist length gloves made from, you guessed it, the skins of somebody's hands. Uh, hell to the no, no, no. Once again, you're cutting into a bunch of dead people. You don't want to get your hands all dirty. Blood stains. And you have the added convenience that once people start fingerprinting, those aren't your fingerprints. Ugh, I don't like it. Definitely a madman. Quite possibly a genius. He had a pair quite of skin possibly. pants and even a necklace made of human tongues strung on a cord. And I will say when it comes to creativity, this one dropped the ball. This he literally just stuck a string through a bunch of tongues. Made it's a new meaning to... Hold your tongue. Yeah, hold your tongue. Ah. The hidden genius. Oh, <laughs> genius is back. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody I'm to really pick up trying on that. To, I'm really trying to lighten the mood because, I mean. While this is horrifying that he's doing all these things and, and there are unfortunately dead ones who were, you know, desecrated. But this guy is doing this at this point to dead people. He did just hang a live woman in his uh barn or whatever it was and I, i'm not making light of that but just coming off of the first half of this murder ride this guy just seems like Ooh, we're coming down a saint by comparison it's like a roller and coaster when they like click 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 bring you up and you're getting really tense and then you get the really quick drop and then afterwards you get the like quick twists and turns but it's not as bad as that right. excruciating <laughs> ride up and slam down yeah like the murder ride is now twisting and turning yeah we're going through the little corkscrew stuff not like that big huge drop at the beginning Whoa. but this guy if we told you this story without having told you the other story is up there in like hand down one of the craziest most insane psychopaths out there but i digress it's all about perspective this happens to be one of my personal favorites and don't hate me i'm just building up to a fantastic joke he fashioned a belt made of woman's nipples And it's actually quite fashionable if you look at it. But the reason it's my favorite is because he understood the fact that without nipples, 
boobs would be pointless. Ayo! Ba-dum-tsh. Bad joke for the win. Not my joke, but I love that joke because I <laughs> love double entendres. But Think yeah. about that for a second. Nipples, pointy. Boobs would be pointless. I, I think. Ah, I think they ah, connected yeah, some dots yeah. there. <laughs> but that too, without the joke, is, is the peak of his tanning, in my opinion, because I've never seen a belt fashioned of nipples before this. I have never seen a lot of the things that this guy has created, including a lampshade made of human skin. But he also had an array of shrunken heads that, get this, he would actually show off to the neighborhood children that he occasionally still babysat. Mm. He told them they were relics from the South Seas sent to him by a cousin that served in World War II. They later turned out to be actual human skin, like the actual faces off of humans. Hold on. First off. What? <laughs> Which part? <laughs> well, first off, World War Two, like that's what he said. Yeah, the, the, that's World they came War from II? a cousin who served in World War Two. So while while he was fighting Germans, he found shrunken heads in Germany. No, no, no. relics from the South Seas sent to him by a cousin who served in World War Two. So he wasn't in the front lines he was just it was a world war it was all over the place like, I, yeah he didn't get it from germany i know i guess that's just what i think of like but the heart of the war yeah, yeah. people got all it's kinds true. of stuff during the world war that's where that would come from oh, it would like, make sense yeah. but he was telling it to little kids that would just go home and be like i saw a shrunken head and their parents would be like ha 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 whatever and like, it was so cool <laughs> yeah, and then they're like that was a human face <laughs> that was the, the next thing is and their parents weren't like no, huh? if our kids are much older now, but if they came home at five years old from a friend's house or the babysitters and they were like, I saw shrunken heads, we'd be like, that's cool. Watching TV. Carry on. <laughs> like, I mean, you're not going <laughs> to legitimately jump up and be like, you saw shrunken heads. Were these actually the faces ripped off of people? And I, mean, told yeah. you, like, I mean, that's pretty legit. Because I, I would have been like, oh, how cute. They watch Beetlejuice. Like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely think something much more innocent than and I've, the flesh this is not of the first, face. So there are quite a few serial killers that I've heard that would actually tell things to children that would later be said back to their parents and they just didn't believe them. I cannot think of any examples offhand, but I will mention them on the uh, Facebook or whatever as I, as I come up with them. But this is, this is quite often. I mean, like... This is part of my downfall as a parent because my kids are like, there's a ghost in the basement. I'm like, let's go check it out. We have to burn the house down and move away. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I'll go check it out and then be like, we have to set up cameras and take pictures and capture it. And ghosts can't actually harm you. And then we look at each other like, yes, they can. No. (laughs) No, they can't. Yes, they can. I'm not convinced of this. (laughs) I believe in ghosts. I believe in the paranormal. I do not believe they have the ability to harm us or... 
I've never been harmed by a ghost, so I have no nowhere to stand. But uh, w- whenever the kids tell me that something freaky is going on, I definitely go and investigate. And they actually, all the kids hate it when I and investigate. She curls up in a ball and goes, "Make it stop! No, make it stop! Are you kidding stop. me? If the kids are there, I'm a tough ass bitch." That is true. She actually, a tree almost fell on our son. So we were we were hiking through a forest, and I was climbing this old tree that had fallen onto another tree. It was huge. Like, I mean, I can't fit my arms around it, how thick it was. I had zero foresight that this thing was going to crack in half. So I'm walking up it. I get like, I'm walking up it. I get over her head high up the angle as this tree is falling on another tree. It's like a big Y. It's leaning on another tree. You're probably at like 10 feet high at this point. Yeah. And it, it snaps in half twice so it snaps like where i'm standing on it and then also beyond where it's where the y like the y of another tree the part that snaps over there is directly over Allie and our son and she looks up sees this y coming down over the two of them grabs him pulls him in and just like covers him and laid like just expecting the tree to hit her and it falls on both sides of her man i'm falling from the sky watching this play out like completely helpless i was absolutely amazed at her reflexes on that well our son wasn't amazed he was pissed because i slammed him into my bosom and (laughs) and like literally slammed in like around him so he didn't get to like hit get hit by anything and after the tree somehow made a perfect like perfectly around the two of us just in a y shape boom right around us he like shoved back was like (laughs) like waddled away because he was a little toddler but yeah needless to say that was an intense moment yes now Back to the whole Ed Gein stuff they discovered. Oh yeah, in we're house. talking about some deep, dark, murderous shit. So he also, or the investigators also found a functional corset made out of human skin, which he used to make himself appear more feminine as he donned his human cosplay. And with this, he had also created a vest made of the entire chest and stomach area of one of the females that he had body snatched. Full breasts, including breast tissue or something that he used as breast tissue. Yeah, because still intact. I don't know how he would preserve it because fat it decomposes and gets very gaseous and pretty much liquefies after. Yeah, I'm assuming four, he stuffed something else weeks, in there, but it six was weeks. he would literally wear this corset to shrink himself in, Ugh. which Again, I'm a little impressed that he made a corset that actually worked out of human skin. It seems too fragile. Well, I mean, if he's doing the whole tanning thing, like leather. Yeah, but leather is much, much thicker than human skin. That's my whole... Is it? Yeah. It's cowhide. Yeah. Cowhide's like... I got a thick skin. No, no, no. Different. You have a (laughs) (laughs) proverbial thick skin. But Yeah. yeah. So after his mother's death, it seemed that he became increasingly desperate to become a woman himself, possibly as a means of resurrecting his mother. Once again, I'm starting to see a major (laughs) connection. We will get to that shortly. (laughs) So, Gaines admitted to robbing nine graves 
and led investigators to their locations. He denied having sex with the bodies. Not because he didn't want to, but because, according to his words, they smelled too bad. Oh, all right. Yeah. Now, Gaines also admitted to shooting Mary Hogan, a tavern owner missing since 1945, whose head, by the way, was found in his house. Oh. But his confession was thrown out because Sheriff Art Schley, I believe that's pronounced, reportedly assaulted Gaines by repeatedly banging his head and face into a brick wall. And after the confession was thrown out he later denied any memory of this crime whatsoever well first off i can't imagine the amount of emotion that this cop was motivated by in this this type with all the evidence and with everything they found i can't imagine right sheriff but yes sheriff, i mean I, yeah uh, i'm not justifying it i mean i don't think i would be able to act much different with all the evidence and all the body parts and whatnot. I'm sure that that was an intense interrogation where emotions were heightened. Also, of course he didn't remember anything after having his face slammed into a brick wall. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure he did remember. He just, once he got that confession thrown out. I mean, you would think, hey, they found the head in the house. That's pretty much as much evidence as you need to convict him. But with a guy like this, that's actually not true. He could just as easily say he found the head. He's already getting convicted for all of these bodies who he admittedly dug up and turned into furniture. I mean, desecration of a corpse is a lot less of a charge than... I'm Multiple. pretty sure the desecration of nine corpses is still going to end this guy in prison. For <laughs> but ultimately, you know, he for whatever reason, this, this murder he decided he wasn't going to admit to. Now, he's definitely, you know, under suspicion for the warden being hung in his barn and gutted and beheaded. It's going to be very difficult for him to claim he found that body minutes after it you know, there's a lot more evidence compiling <laughs> against him, considering he was the last person that saw her alive, and she's in his garage, and, you know. Oh, uh, what? But, yeah, for whatever reason, he didn't want to have this other one pinned on him after admitting to it. Maybe he thought he wasn't going to get, like... Face smashing. Super bad trial, and then he thought that one was going to be... So, all in all, Gaines was suspected of being involved in nine murders. Holy shit. He only stood trial for one. He's known as a serial killer, but by definition, Ed Gein is not a serial killer. Oh, you gotta be kidding nope. me. Nope. He's not a serial killer because he's only been convicted of one murder. Well. He's crazy as all get out. He's a psychopath. Absolutely. But uh, a serial killer? Technically, he is not. On the, on the books? No. In the books, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, assuming he was guilty for the nine that they're suspecting him of, then yes, he probably was a serial killer. But and, and he's only, even if you count his admission, known for two. The other ones were just people that they were linking to him. And we could get into that, but this would turn into a several hour episode. Yeah. Yeah. Those are whole stories, each one of them. But he was also suspected 
of consuming the body parts of the bodies that he stole because they found a heart and organs in his kitchen. This is, however, widely disputed because a lot of people claim the way they were wrapped and the fact that they were found on the floor indicates that they were being prepped to be discarded and not eaten. Mm, And he never actually admitted to being a cannibal. I'd keep my body parts in the fridge if I want to cook them later. Right. And if the bodies were too stinky to have sex with, according to his admission... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you don't want to eat them. Worse, but I mean, I always smell stuff before I cook it, even if it's like fresh. I so. think people just associate cannibalism as like one of the most horrific things you can do to another human being, and the fact that this guy did such extraordinarily horrible things to people, they just attached cannibalism to that to really just build up how insane this guy is, and you don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> he's I'm pretty sure a it's whole a new level. full home run of messed up shit. So on November 21st, 1957, Gaines was arraigned on one count of first degree murder in Washora County Court where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Oh. Gaines was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent thus unfit for trial. He was then sent to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. In 1968, his doctors determined he was mentally able to participate in his defense. Damn straight. The trial began on November 7, 1968 and lasted one week. Gaines' psychiatrist testified that Ed told him he didn't know if the killing of Warden was intentional or by accident. He claimed... He was loading the rifle at the store when it discharged by accident and that he never actually aimed the rifle at Warden, but couldn't remember anything else that happened that morning. Convenient. Oh, what? Yes. Uh, Like, (laughs) nowhere I don't know if she sold rifles and he was testing it or if he brought the rifle, which seems a little bit more, (laughs) you know, like... I don't understand because you don't go to... A hardware store and be like, let me try loading that gun because now, this is a different time I mean, and it could be understandable that you're at the store. You want to make sure the, the rifle functions properly, whatever. I am not suggesting by any stretch of imagine that I believe this guy. But back uh, then, I mean, kids brought shotguns to school. Like, legitimately brought shotguns to school to go hunting after school with their friends, and it was totally acceptable. It wasn't the same world that we're in today, uh, yeah. where the guns are all that, tied up and... Yeah, I think that that's the hard part for me to imagine, because right. I, I grew up in a world where that that is, you know, they're regulated... And yeah, it's not like you're going to go to Walmart right now and be like, I'd like to pull that gun off the wall and then I would like to put some bullets in it and then load it up and see if it works. Make sure that it's all good. Yeah, no, no. Right. So he was found guilty by Judge Robert H. Gulmer on November 14th. A second trial was held to determine Gaines' sanity. And after the testimony of his doctors, Gomor ruled Gain not guilty by reason of insanity and had him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane where he would spend the rest of his days. Now, the rest of his days, like he lived a short life or he just lived there for a long time? Good question. And I'm actually going to cover that in just a second. I do want to read... The final notes written by the judge. Judge Gomer wrote, 
Due to prohibitive costs, Gain was tried for only one murder, that of Mrs. Warden. He also admitted to killing Mary Hogan. Prohibited what? Prohibitive costs. So, like, my skin boiled when I read that. Again, I know it's different times. <sighs> I understand that money's involved in every trial. It blows my mind that people will go free from crimes because money doesn't have the, or the state doesn't have the money to convict or whatever. But that one just, what? Like, this is one of the more predominant cases of that time. One of the most insane individuals of that time. And they're just like, eh, we can only afford to try him for one. So he admitted to the other one, but we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I mean, we had one of our sheriffs bash his face against a brick wall and oh my there's goodness. lawsuits involved. I, I, I do understand that there's a limited finite amount of funding, but at the same time, justice for the families. And that's the part, again, that just drives me nuts with this stuff. It's like, there are reasons why the state doesn't prosecute. We just talked about this in the part one of the murder ride. But it sucks for the families because then they get their conviction and they don't go back and like, let's pin four more convictions on him or nine more convictions. And they're just like, all right, well, he's going to serve the rest of his life and several other lives in prison or he's sentenced to death. So it doesn't matter. But it does matter to the victim's families. You want that closure. Not that I've ever gone through it, but if I ever did, hell, I'd want to track the guy down myself and kill him with my bare hands. But that's all another story. So, Gaines did die on July 26, 1984, at the age of 77, due to respiratory failure as a result of lung cancer. Well, they do say that evil corrupts the soul Yet, and body. evil people seem to live forever. I mean, I feel like sometimes it can go one of two ways. Like, they <laughs> well, will either live forever. I think they just die and people are like, yeah, it's because they were evil. And then they live forever and they're like, yeah, yeah it's because they're, they're evil. It keeps them alive forever. <laughs> but anywho, so here's some fun notes. <laughs> On I don't a know, different lighter note. note. Nope, same note. Gaines' story was adapted into a number of movies, including Deranged, 1974, In the Light of the Moon, 2000, later retitled to Ed Gein for the U.S. market, and Ed Gein, The Butcher of Plainfield, 2007. And here's the part that I was referencing throughout the story. I think I figured it out. Gein also influenced several fictional serial killers, such as Norman Bates, Psycho. That's what I definitely thought of. (laughs) Yeah, that one stands out. Uh, Also, Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, stands out quite a bit once Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, you know what? He wore faces. He actually walked around the house with faces of other people on like that. Uh, I see the connection. (laughs) And Buffalo Bill of The Silence of the Lambs. Which actually, my topic, Albert Fish, was the... Motivation behind Hannibal Lecter from what? So they're both on the murder ride, and they yes. both influence two characters from the same movie. From the same movie, Rob Zombie, you are a damn genius. Yes, he is. Also, possibly a psychopath. I love him. I also love him, but possibly a psychopath. Have you seen the movies? <laughs> <laughs> it's his artistic creations. Right. Fine line. (laughs) And I write some crazy stuff myself. I'm not really saying because he made these movies that he kills people. But if he did, I don't think anybody out there would be like, what? That's impossible. He was such a nice guy. I could never imagine hurting a fly. 
If you know him, you might say that because maybe he is a really nice guy and would never hurt a fly. But if you only know him by his movies, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I kind of figured that makes sense. (laughs) Same with Stephen King, of course. Like anybody who writes this like just crazy stuff, you're like, where does it come from? Like Poe? Like Edgar Allan Poe, one of my favorite poets of all time. Some of the stuff that he reads. possibly a psychopath, possibly a killer. Who knows? It's too late now. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so I guess. Now we have one more left. Now, one of our local heroes, S. Quentin Quayle, a.k.a. Dr. Satan, murderer, torturer, most of all, master surgeon. As most of you probably know, this is actually a fictional character created by Rob Zombie for the film itself. Which let me just say, the entire concept of the murder ride is amazing because instead of doing a flashback to show this character, instead of having to find a, like a totally different way of putting this story into it, he created the idea of the murder ride so he could make up a serial killer for his movie and give background like that is artistic genius genius I, it was i like f- i really appreciate the way that he put this into the movie another interesting note about dr satan he is in fact a fictional character created by rob zombie but he's also Potentially a fictional character created within the movie itself. And a lot of people don't know this due to several cut scenes. But he was potentially a fictional character created by Captain Spaulding in an effort to lure potential victims. There is an alternate ending that shows Grandpa Hugo as Dr. Satan. But even with the current ending... Rob Zombie himself suggests that Dr. Satan encounter at the end of the movie was just a hallucination and that he never actually existed. Which is crazy. And which is really funny. Not quite as crazy as Ed Gein. No. But still crazy nonetheless. And the funny thing is, when I remember seeing House of a Thousand Corpses for the first time, for some reason, my memory cut off. Uh, when they well the the surviving girl opened the door and saw the doctor oh no i don't even remember that like when she gets lowered into the grave do you remember that part i remember that i remember the catacombs and running through it but for some reason my memory of the first time that i saw this movie when she slams open the door and she sees dr satan at that point, like that's where my memory cuts off of the movie. I thought that that's how it ended. And years later, when I rewatched it and I saw how much further it goes from that point, I like it was almost like your Mandela effect. I was just going to say, <laughs> I wonder if any other listeners share your memory. Is this another case of the Mandela effect? I don't know. Tweet at us or if let us know. If you have not yet heard of the Mandela effect, I think it was episode one. Might it have been was. Episode two. No, yeah, no episode that one. was our pilot episode. Go back, give it a listen. It is at the very least very interesting yes it is so yeah that's i thought that was kind of crazy when i went back and watched it and i it was a totally different ending than what i remembered 
Another fun fact about it is, and I looked this up on uh, IMDb. I was looking for fun facts. Ooh, I like fun facts. Fun facts. The opening scenes from the original film, House of a Thousand Corpses, all of the cutaway scenes were filmed by Rob Zombie on a 16 millimeter handheld camera in his basement during after parties after rap. Wait, I seem to remember a lot of his <laughs> wife's boobs being yes. exposed. This was just Her, happening or did he encourage this behavior for uh, the recording? It doesn't say. It just says that it was at there was the, also a point when there was like meat being devoured by bugs and I hope that wasn't his I'm basement. Not, yeah, I'm not sure, but it says that the the scene that baby or Sherry Moon, his wife, is fondling herself with a skeleton. That <sighs> that scene was filmed at a rap party. Another When you say rap party, I'm thinking like rap. No, like Being rap. Like wrap like up party. Wrap yeah, up. Yeah, 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 you wrap the filming. I like that. Um, I'm actually not a big fan of rap. <laughs> the footage of Otis torturing the cheerleaders. They that was at his house. So like they were so like. So I hope this was stuff was like. They were probably out. They yeah. Were, <laughs> so this leads me to think that they're like, oh well, let's just shoot some random stuff. They basically were all just hanging out anyway, doing yeah. crazy stuff. His wife happened to be topless and running around the house and he was like, you should <laughs> masturbate with a skull. That'd be cool. <laughs> but yeah. Or she just does that on her free That's time, which I'd like to believe is the case. crazy you know? after party, to say the least. I would definitely RSVP, yes. <laughs> Rob Zombie, if you're listening, please invite us to a future party. We would love to attend. Hello. So another cool fact about this movie is when Denise, who is the brunette, the main girl who ends up surviving the whole thing, well, until she gets in the <laughs> she doesn't car survive. at the end. But I mean, like, she, she's a badass. She's a badass. Also dead. <laughs> yeah. But when she calls her dad from the payphone in the beginning of the movie, the um, <laughs> there's a missing dog head poster in the phone booth with like a number to call like hold on there was a picture of a dog's head and they were yeah. saying like the dog was missing no or legitimately no, said, a missing dog head. it said missing dog head <laughs> and awesome. it had a picture of just the dog head and it had the phone number to call if you found it so i'm all about i want to go on a road trip just down south i don't care where and just stop at ever like Kind of like they do in the movie House of a Thousand Corpses and just visit all these crazy places because they're out there. They're all over oh, the place. They are. And legitimately, I, great for a podcast, great to just adventure itself. And quite Maybe. frankly, you might end up getting murdered. Yeah. Oh. I mean, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Way oh, to kill the mood. <laughs> yeah, you really just brought it down a whole lot. I actually just thought of a. It's the excitement that you might get murdered that makes it fun not to actually get murdered. I mean, fair enough. Anyways, uh, another fun fact is that throughout the movie, whenever Otis and Baby are going on their crazy, bizarre rants, it's actually quotes from segments of the home movies that Charles Manson's family made. Wait, so there, there were quotes that... 
the Manson. Manson family actually were having like amongst yes, each like other. The Manson family, as in like you know all yeah. of his followers. But like they were arguing with each other. They have transcripts from this, and they act. They that have out. home videos. Home vi- oh my god, that's awesome! And not, I mean, the, I mean, the, what he it, did wasn't awesome, but that's some great. He has a lot material. of cre- he has a lot of creative liberties that that it make for a good spin. Whenever I watched it, I I caught up on a couple of them and I like looked at you and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's a Manson quote." That's like, awesome. Yeah. And she didn't even tell me this the whole time cuz she didn't want to ruin the episode. No, I just looked at him with longing eyes like She does Ugh. that all the time anyway. <laughs> Not those eyes she just gave me right now though. <laughs> no, those are kind of might say crazy eyes i try to keep her away from those like woman murder mystery or oh uh, i love snapped oh god (laughs) she gets this crazy look in her eye if she watches too many episodes in a row i have my food tested every once in a while he has nothing to worry about he's a fantastic husband and lover i still test my food (laughs) well do you have anything else to add about our movies actually you're on a roll keep it going i'm sorry i just got really excited because i saw that elvira like the elvira went to go see the opening of three from hell and took a picture with rob zombie holding up the three fingers because they're all doing three for three for hell nice and she is bomb she is gorgeous. I don't know. She's got to be like, because she was an adult when I was a teenager, like thinking about it. So she's older than me, but she looks stunning. She looks youthful and gorgeous. She has this bright red hair. Like I always picture with the black long hair and the big boobs, but like now she's got rocking red hair and big boobs but she's hanging out with rob zombie at the opening of the film like that is so awesome i was so excited to see her there that is absolutely awesome so she has red hair now that's crazy yeah but it looks so good on her with I her can imagine her still fair, very gothic she's a very fair black and, dress no Aww. no but she yeah i was just like she didn't age a day. <laughs> Any other fun facts for us? Mm, I think that's all. I'm super excited for uh, tomorrow to watch the movie since we had to record tonight so we couldn't drive two hours or three hours to go find a theater. <laughs> and I am so excited to dive into countless hours of editing to try to get this out tomorrow. <laughs> and I love the other you one, so not this much. One. So that pretty much wraps it up. Once again, as always, follow us on Twitter at Spirits Oddity. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Spirits Oddities and Mysteries. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. It helps us out so we can actually get more awesome material to you who we do this all for. And check out our Patreon if you feel so inclined. We really appreciate. And always, we want to give credit to our intro music, Evening of Chaos by Kevin McLeod. Full details in our show notes. That was good. That was horrible. (laughs)